So um, this last week, I had something interesting happen to me. Is um, that the as I think about Thanksgiving, I have a ton to be thankful for, but I've also had quite a kind of a roller coaster year. I've said that I've had the highest of highs and some of the lowest of lows, and just some things that are obnoxious. And so one of the obnoxious things that took place in my life is we moved out of our house for six months and it was open for six months because we're doing a remodel and then we moved back in, still in the process of remodeling. But what happened during that six months is we had a colony of mice move into our house, okay? And it's not just like one or two. I think we've caught at least 30 so far, which is so fun. Yeah, it's a great time. And so I literally caught one today, like right before here. They are just, it's nonstop. I don't understand what's going on, but we have a plethora of mice. And so as I'm constantly hunting these mice and putting out traps and sticky pads, the other day on our front porch, uh, Amy threw the trash on the front porch because she wanted me to pick it up and go throw it away. And so I go to pick up the trash. And of course, a mouse runs under, from underneath the trash. And then it kind of like freaks out for a little bit and then hides back underneath the pile of trash. And my kids and all the neighbor kids, because on both sides, we have little kids that my, uh, my kids play with, and they play in the front yard. And I saw them and I said, guys, I'm yelling at all the neighbor kids, you guys want to go hunting for a mouse? And they're like, yeah, are you kidding me? They're mostly boys. And so they're like, yeah, and they're four, five, six, seven. And so they're freaking out like, yes, we want to go hunting for a mouse. And so I said, all right, guys, come on over. And so the pile, the, the trash that's there, I start picking up the pieces of trash throwing in the trash can. And I'm like, it's underneath there. And so they're looking out and they're like trying to like act tough, but for the most part, they're just really scared. And so they're looking in there and, and I pick up a piece of trash and this thing jets, you know, and it just runs right towards my front door. I'm like, no! And it hides underneath this little piece of paper that's like, anyway, okay. And so I get a skateboard deck and I'm like, all right, we're gonna get this little bugger, all right? And so I start pounding where I think he is trying to get him. And eventually he drops and then runs and hides in another corner, which he ran by all of the children. They are losing their mind. My daughter is literally crying. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, get inside, you're a wuss. And so kids are just freaking out. The mouse gets up and it hides in another place. So I start going after it and then it drops again and it starts running down the side of my garage. And so the kids, the boys are just running after this thing. And these kids are so grubby. It's great. They have no shoes on, no shirt. I'm just like, where are we? This is like the, the Louisiana. So, you know, they're just going. And so this thing runs it turns and then turns again and goes into my garage. And I go, no, not in my garage. And so we follow it in the garage and we're looking for it. And one of the kids spots it and it runs in between these two, it's called hardy back or these two boards I have leaning up against the, the wall. And he, he sandwiches himself in between these two and he's hiding and he doesn't think that we know where he is, but we do. And so I go, okay, guys, you ready? We're gonna get him. And they're like, yeah. And so I take this skateboard deck and I whack the side of this thing and it just sandwiches it and it goes and just guts and blood everywhere. I know, it was so cool. And so the boys are just like, yeah! You know, they're just, they're so amped. You know, they're just, it's crazy. And uh, my, little, my little one, Ezra, he's three. He goes, you smashed his face in! And I'm like, yeah, I did. Yeah, buddy. And so... Um, Right when that happens, 
one of the kids' moms from next door is walking over, and what I know about her, she's a wonderful lady, but she is literally the type of person who would not kill a fly. When she catches a spider in her house, she captures it and then releases it outside. She, in fact, saved a mouse out of her pool the other day that was drowning. And so when she found out, and so she's walking over, and there is just mouse in this general area right here. And so she's walking over to pick up the kids. And I'm like, guys, don't tell your mom, okay? We'll see you. And then she goes, what happened? What happened? And she, you're a murderer. Now she was kidding, luckily, but um, the kids went home. They told their parents. And then the other neighbor, the dad came over to me and he goes, dude, that's so rad. Do you think we could catch some more? Maybe we could shoot them with BB guns. I'm like, that's right. That's right. You are my friend. Anyway, that has absolutely nothing to do with tonight's topic, but I needed to tell you that I killed something this week, which makes it a good week. Okay, uh, here's what we're going to be talking about. In Luke 17, because this week is Thanksgiving, I thought we needed to talk about gratitude. We need to talk about being thankful. It's always a topic that um, we should be thinking about, but especially at this time of the year. And so if you have your Bibles, Luke 17, verse 11 is where we're going to be at. And Jesus is going to teach us in this interaction with a group of lepers uh, what gratitude looks like. And there may be an aspect of it that you find surprising or maybe you haven't thought of before. So Luke 17, verse 11 says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samar, excuse me, between Samaria and Galilee. And so Galilee is this region in which Jesus grew up. Uh, the town of Nazareth is there or within this uh, region. And so that's where he's from. And that's where a lot of the Jewish people are from. But if you know anything about Samaria, um, you know that the Samaritans are people who are despised by the Jews because they are a racial half-breed. They are seen as people who have kind of um, gone away from their ethnicity and their faith, and so they are um, despised. And so in verse 12, it continues on, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And so if you don't know what leprosy is, you've probably at least heard of it before, but you may not know what exactly the disease is. It's a bacterial infection. And what happens is it begins to, uh, it kind of numbs all of your extremities is usually where it starts. And it gives uh, you the inability to be able to feel pain. And so what can happen is you'll lose fingers and toes and your nose. And, and it, I actually went to a leper colony where uh, the people had been cured, but they still had obviously the effects of leprosy in which they, a bunch of them were missing um, toes and, and nose and fingers, and it's just a, it's a nasty, nasty disease. In fact, what can happen is in these rural places is these people will get leprosy. They can't feel pain. They can't feel like if something dropped on them or something bit them. And so they would fall asleep and rats would come in in the middle of the night and nibble away some of their fingers, eat them, literally, while, but because they can't feel it, so they don't know. They wake up in the morning and go, oh my gosh, I'm missing a pointer finger, and a rat ate it. Nasty disease. And so all of these people, by um, law, the Old Testament law, they couldn't come in contact with any of uh, the villages or the communities because it was highly contagious. And so they were put into colonies by themselves or with other people of leopard, but by themselves in which they were not even allowed to be around people. If they were anywhere near um, people who were not a part of the leper colony, they would have to yell out that they had leprosy so that people would be aware and they would get out of their way. And so they, they stand, continue John, they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. 
And so they knew to keep their distance. They knew that we're not supposed to go approach these people, and yet they have heard of Jesus before. When he was walking by, they said, you know, I've heard of Jesus. He does miracles. There's something special about him. And so I need to approach this guy. I can't go too close, but I'm going to yell out to him, Jesus, can you help us? Can you save us? Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, this is very odd. Jesus does lots of miracles. He, hel- he uh, heals lots of people. But the way that he does this one is he doesn't even go up and speak to them. He doesn't touch them. He actually yells off from a distance, you're healed. Go ahead and show yourself to the priest. Now, the priest was the person who was um, kind of the gatekeeper into society. That if you had leprosy and you believed that you were cured, you would go to the priest and he would give you a clean bill of health. And so he would look at you and say, okay, yes, I believe that you are cured of this disease, and so you can come back to society. And so they immediately were told by Jesus, go and show yourselves to the priest, saying, look, I have healed you, and I've done it from afar. Now, in this moment, something strange is happening because um, they weren't healed yet. They were still very much lepers, and yet Jesus calls them in faith, I need you to go and trust that I've got this taken care of, that you are healed. As they went, they were cleansed. So if you imagine this scene, it's kind of like a Beauty and the Beast, like uh, New Testament style, in which there's this crazy, did you remember Beauty and the Beast? Are you too young for Beauty and the Beast? Okay, thank you, God bless. Okay, because if you were... If we start going to like, oh, you know, it's like when the the sparkly from, what's the one, the guy, good vampire... Twilight, that's what it is, Twilight, where he gets into it and he's like diamonds and stuff. Anyway, okay. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, yes. Beauty and the Beast, all of a sudden, as they are going in faith, they are healed. Now, if you hear this story, there's so many different kind of directions that we can go with this and so many different learnings that we can take away. But I think the main thing that we need to look at is how incredibly blessed these people were. They went from being outcasts in society where they had lost their family, they had lost their jobs, they had lost um, their health, they have lost everything. And in a moment, Jesus turns their life around and they are healed. Now, this time of the year, it's, I think, a great time for us to sit back and to think about all the things that we have been blessed with. As I look at my own life, and this year has been pretty exciting because we, of course, added another child to our family because the first two didn't take, so we added a third because we're like, hopefully this one's better. Um, Just kidding, because we love the first two, and so we wanted more, more babies, and I'm really good at making babies, and so we got some more babies, and so just seeing if you're awake. Um, But as I watch my kids, and just the little silly stuff. So yesterday we went, to, um, we went to the motorcycle store because this week my kids get to go up north and we're going to go ride quads this week. And so we got to pick out uh, Sienna, got a big pink helmet, and they're just bobbleheads. It's hilarious. They're literally like can barely keep their head. Oh, like, right, we're going to have to work on that. And so... And then my little one, my three-year-old, he gets this matte black one because he's hardcore. And so he gets his helmet and they get their goggles and their gloves. And in those moments, you just go, God, you're so cute. Like, I love, this is so fun. They didn't make a helmet for the newborn yet, but we're working on it. I'm sure Amazon probably has it. And so I just look at this and I go, wow, I am so blessed. Now, you may not have kids, but you've been blessed with an incredible amount as well. 
If you think about all the relationships that you have, the friendships that you have, the parents, the family that you have, just the very fact that um, you maybe get to go to school, you have a job, you have whatever it is, you have an enormous list of things that you can be thankful for. In fact, if you sat and you made a list, because I did this a couple of Thanksgivings ago, um, I got up early and I started to make a list of all the things that I was thankful for. And your hand will begin to cramp up as you write this because you have so many things that you normally probably don't even think about during your, your week. But as you sit down and you think through all the things you're thankful for, you will realize how incredibly blessed you are. Just the very fact that we're sitting in this room The place that we were born is the freest country in human history where we get to have so many opportunities, where we have access to to technology, to education. We have a house. We have shoes on. Where they're going this week in Guatemala, they don't have shoes. And we don't even think about that. And yet we have uh, an abundance of gifts. I think life itself is a gift. The fact that we exist on this tiny little blue planet in this vast universe and you just go, why do I even, that's just mind boggling. And then of course, as believers, the greatest gift of all is that we get to be reconciled with our creator, that Jesus would come and that he would die for us and that we could have a relationship with him and that we could have everlasting life. That is something to be grateful for. So I don't think anyone in this room, no matter what you've been through and what you're experiencing and how hard life has been, I think all of us have things that we can be grateful for. Verse 15, he says, this one of them, when he saw uh, he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. That little last part's kind of a jab at the Jews saying, oh, and guess who he was? He was the person in whom you despise. Now, of course, we know that the proper response to our blessings is gratitude. Um, If you remember growing up, your parents, whenever you would receive a gift, this is especially true as you're sitting down and you do the big Christmas present opening. Did you ever do that where you go and you have your aunts and uncles or grandparents or whoever? It's not just your immediate family, but it's like your extended family or friends. Did you ever do this? And as soon as you open up that present, and it doesn't matter how horrible that present is, my grandmother gave the worst presents that you can imagine. I got fruit on a regular basis as a child from her. Fruit, what? I don't even want, anyway. And so immediately when I open and I have a thing of oranges as a seven-year-old, um, um, what do my parents tell me? Say thank, what do you say to grandma for those oranges? Thanks, Grandma, for the oranges and that apple. Freaking awesome, right? Because there is something within us that we know that we are supposed to express our gratitude when we are given something. Even if we don't necessarily want that thing, we don't love that thing, there is something within us that says that we have to express our gratitude. And when we don't um, receive or give that gratitude and, and express it, we feel like we've been wronged. And so this happens to me on a regular basis. It still bothers me every single day. You fill in the blank of how this works for you. Maybe, maybe it looks like this, is you are driving and someone pulls over into your lane and doesn't give you the "Uh, thanks, right? You just go, oh my gosh, I wish there was a gun that was mounted on the top of my car because I would blow you out of the water right now, right? Just this, this is all I want, just this. That's all I want to see from you. Or... The one that gets me, and you guys know that I'm a big coffee drinker. I go into the coffee, uh, Pete's, twice a day, 
And so there's always someone that is entering or exiting as I am going through the door. And so I will almost always try to open the door and allow them to go through. Now, for the most part, most people make eye contact and they go, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. And I go, you know what? My pleasure. My pleasure. Just serving the Lord here today, okay? Can I tell you about the Lord Jesus, by the way? No, I don't say that, but walk out. But there is this occasional person that walks through the door. They don't make eye contact. They just walk on through like I'm there to like, oh, well, how can I help you? Oh, well, can I, can I roll a carpet out for you? <laughs> right? And they walk through and they don't say thank you or make eye contact or even give me the mm, nod. In that moment, as there, I want to grab them by the collar of their shirt and throw them back and be like, open the door for yourself because you did not express any kind of gratitude in which I deserve. There is something about gratitude that when it is not expressed, we feel like we've been wronged. And so Jesus uh, continues on, he says, Jesus asks, um, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And so it's hard to see in the context, but Jesus is actually being sarcastic here. He's going, wait, wait, I thought there was 10 of you guys and only one of you came back. Did my, did my healing power not work? Were you out of range? What, what happened there? Did, am, I, am I losing my ability here to be able to, to heal people? Obviously he's being sarcastic because he says, I know all 10 were healed. I'm God, I know what I'm doing. And yet only one of you came back. Where are the other nine? And obviously he's pointing out the fact that um, these people received an incredible blessing and yet they seem to be ungrateful for it. That would be what would happen if something miraculous happened to us, as if God gives us something, an incredible gift, our life back, and we don't express gratitude, you would see us as ungrateful. So what causes ingratitude? Ultimately, uh, at the bottom, ingratitude is caused by pride. And I think it's manifested in three different ways. First one is entitlement, that we deserve something. And our generation is so good at this, by the way. We believe we deserve everything. In fact, um, every day there is a protest by a group, and it doesn't matter what their political view is, they seem to be protesting something that they're not getting that they believe that they're entitled to. Why do we believe that we are entitled to so much? See, when... um, when we don't show our gratitude and we don't show our thanks, it's as if um, God owes us something or people around us owe us. You know, you know how hard I've worked. It is their job. It is your responsibility. God should give me this because I've had such a hard life so far. See, when we don't express our gratitude to others and towards God, it's because we believe that we deserve something. And conversely, when we are upset or bitter, when we don't get our way, it's also because we believe we deserve something. I remember when I was 16, and this is probably the most explicit example I've seen, is I had a friend who, um, who came from a wealthy family, and when she turned 16, she got, and this was like the hot ticket back in the day, is she got a brand new uh, Jetta, all right? This was the jam for 16-year-old girls. This is what every girl wanted. And you had a Jetta? No, it's cool. Um, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. No, it's fine. It's fine. Your manhood is not in question. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah. So she gets this Jetta, walks out, brand new, in the driveway, and she says, Dad, that's not the color I wanted. Oh, I'd be like, well, you're, you're up for adoption. You know, that would just be, the, that would be it. And yet she was so upset 
because she thought that she deserved not just a new car, but the exact car in the exact color that she wanted. Why did she deserve this? I couldn't tell you, but she felt entitled to it. If you look at the next time that you complain, if you are hearing yourself complain about something, just stop and ask yourself, what do I believe that I am entitled to in this moment that I am not getting? Because every complaint that we have is us complaining about something that we're not getting that we believe we deserve. And usually this manifests itself in different actions. And so if you look at, for example, consumer debt, which is killing so many Americans, it is a huge burden that so many of us have to deal with. And it's because we believe that we are entitled to some kind of product or service that we cannot afford. And so we charge it. And so we make ourselves indebted or we have in consumer debt because we, have, we believe we deserve something, yet we can't buy it. And so we're going to figure out how to get it. That's really what consumer debt is. It's entitlement or theft. Unfortunately, we've had some theft around here recently, and we think we caught them on Friday because cars were getting broken into. And theft is driven by, I deserve a certain level of affluence. I deserve, a certain, uh, I deserve certain things, and because I do not have them, I will go and I will steal them from someone else. Theft is all about, I believe I deserve something, I don't have it, so I will go and get it. Now, here's the problem according to Scripture. Scripture says, and this is kind of harsh, the thing that you and I deserve is death. Ugh, that's not very fun. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And you're like, wait a minute, why do I deserve death? Well, think about this. If the Bible is true and all of us have rejected God's authority in our life, we say we do not want you or we only want you to a certain degree and God is the creator and sustainer of life, when we reject God, we're rejecting life and embracing death. And so by our rejection of God, the punishment or the consequences is always going to be death. Second thing that I believe... um, ultimately makes us ungrateful is our self-sufficiency. We believe that we made it happen, that we did it, that we are the one who uh, can attribute all of our success to. See, whatever success that we have, um, and this is kind of the American dream, is we, we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we have come from the bottom and now we are here. Is that how it goes? I'm oh, sorry, from the bottom. Here. No? Is that like... <laughs> trying to stay with it, you know, what's up, Drake, Drake, okay, uh, started from the bottom, now we're here, but look, that is the self-made man or woman, that is the American dream, is that everybody has an equal opportunity to success, and so when we do succeed, we should claim it and be excited about it. The problem is, is your success has very little to do with you. In fact, if you were to look at the percentage of what part can I attribute the success of my life toward me and what is towards external circumstances, you will see that very little of it has to do with you. Because you did not, you did not cause all the major contributors of your success in any way. You did not cause where you were born, the time that you were born, some of the opportunities and the relationships that you had, the resources that you were given. If I look at um, whatever successes I've had in my life, very little of it had to do with my own, my own um, doing. 
So this weekend I had the opportunity to lead um, a service for rooted graduates. And we just took 750 um, participants through this 10-week program of rooted, and I had the opportunity to lead it. And today was the graduation. And so 750 people's lives were changed dramatically over this 10 weeks. It was a huge deal. We were so excited. It was incredible seeing, I think we had 30 or 40 people getting baptized. Just amazing stuff happening. Now, when I look at the success of the last 10 weeks, you know how much of it was my doing and how much of it was God's doing? Like 99.9% of it was God. And then I got to just be a part of it. Because look, I did not choose to be born here. I did not choose to have the family that I was born into. My dad's a pastor. He planted this church and I get to now uh, be a part of it. I did not choose whatever gifts and talents I have that uh, I get to stand up and use. I did not I did not choose the opportunity to lead and to learn. So one of the just crazy things is I was born into the family that I was born into with whatever gifts and opportunities and resources. And then all of these other peripheral things, like going to seminary, for example, I happen to live in a place in which there is an incredible seminary 20 minutes down the road where I can learn from world-famous theologians and philosophers. I did not choose any of those things. All of those things were just because of God's sovereignty. In fact, if you boil down my role in whatever successes I may have in life, it's really just being a good steward of all the stuff that I was given. It is not screwing up the life that God gave me. See, when we look at our lives and we think about our successes, is it you who has created all of those things or is it God who has gifted them? Now, you can still royally screw up your life for sure, You have seen people with all the advantages in the world still screw up their life because we still have freedom to choose and to to affect change in our life. But if we were to attribute the successes of our life, it's gonna be overwhelmingly God who has placed them. So one of the illustrations that makes sense to me, and I thought of this like about a year ago because I watched my kids do this, is we as Americans like to think of our life as a blank canvas, Just go out there and paint this beautiful picture of your life. You figure out what you want to do. You figure out who you want to be, and then you paint this beautiful picture, and you go out and you you, you do it. And what really is true is your life is not this blank canvas in which you go out and paint whatever picture you want. Because there is obviously certain pictures that you can't paint no matter how hard you try. I was watching Vice. You guys watch Vice documentaries ever? Last night I was watching Vice documentaries. And there were um, a couple stories, like mini documentaries, about these guys who were trying to make it into the NBA. Very, very talented, worked extremely, extremely hard, and yet they just couldn't make it in the NBA. There was nothing that they could do. And I have a friend, Landry, who came and uh, spoke here, and I asked him, I said, you know, what's the deal? What does it take to get into the NBA? He says, yeah, it takes hard work, and it takes passion and commitment, and it takes an extreme amount of raw talent that you just can't produce no matter how hard you work. I thought, isn't that interesting? Is I can't paint that picture if I wanted to. There is no way that this body is getting in the NBA. The only thing that I could do there is probably be a vendor in the NBA, right? (laughs) That's what I am built for presently. And it looks like I consume more than I sell. And so there is no way that I can paint that picture. In fact, the scripture says that God has laid out this plan for you. And your life is much more like a coloring book in which your job is not to go and to paint this beautiful picture on a blank canvas. Your job is to go and to fill in the picture that God has already planned for you. 
He has given you gifts. He has given you opportunities. He has given you resources. And your job is to simply color within the lines, to not screw it up. As I watch my kids and my daughter's getting better, in fact, here's what's hilarious. Right before I came up here, um, she drew me a bunch of pictures. I didn't even ask her to. She did that. Isn't that cute? I don't know what they are, but it's cute. And, and so as I watch my kids and they're trying to figure out how to color, when they have a blank canvas like this, it's kind of a mess. It's kind of a disaster. I can't really make ends meet of it. It just doesn't make any sense. But when I give them a coloring book and I say, okay, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to color within the lines. And here's how they can make actually a picture that looks pretty decent. But you know what looks even better is when I sit down and I help them, when daddy sits down and he helps them color in this picture. Do you see the correlation there? When you have your own blank canvas and it's up to you, you're going to make a mess of your life. But when you realize, oh, you know what? God has laid out this beautiful picture that I'm just supposed to go and be a good steward of. And then if I invite him into the process, that's how it's gonna turn out the best is when I don't try to figure it out myself, when I realize that there is something that has already been drawn for me and I invite God into the process to help him make it beautiful. Ultimately, everything that we have is a gift from God. And there's, a, there's a something inside of us that theologically, intellectually, we go, okay, you convinced me. That's right. That makes sense. I can't really argue with that. But there's something in our heart that says, yeah, but like, I don't know, I did a lot. I worked hard. I mean, I, I think I can own some of this, right? I mean, I've accomplished some things at my age already that I feel pretty proud of. It's because there's this thing within us that wants to constantly push God to the peripheral of our life and say that, no, 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 we are still in control. No, 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 but like I have a lot of freedoms and I've been able to do certain things. See, this is the sin of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's whole sin was not that they ate something that they weren't supposed to. That's kind of this, the story of what happened. What actually happened was they wanted to push God out of their life and be in control. They didn't want to have to bow down to God in his, in his good gifts. They wanted to say, no, we'll take control and we'll make our way in this world without you. The scripture says the essence of sin, the root of all of man's problems, is cosmic ingratitude. That all evil, all suffering, misery, cruelty is all caused by cosmic ingratitude. It's a failure to admit that our lives are a gift from God and that we owe him all of our worship. See, cosmic ingratitude is the thing that has separated us from God and continues to separate us. It's because we get so busy with our blessings that we forget to thank the person who has actually given them to us. And so if you're going to look at the lepers, um, I think what may have happened, and we got to read between the lines a little bit in the story, but I think what may have happened with the lepers as they go off and all 10 are healed and only one come back is if you went and you tracked down those other nine and you said, hey, um, you were healed miraculously, right? Yeah, and your life was given back to you. You got your job and your family and your health. You got everything back, right? Are you thankful for that? Do you think that they're gonna go, nah, not really. No, of course they're gonna go, yes, I'm incredibly thankful for this. In fact, I'm gonna tell everyone who will listen about this Jesus who has transformed my life um, for the rest of my days. Anyone who's gonna listen, I will tell them about Jesus. Now, why didn't you go back and, and say you, that you were thankful for it? Well, I was busy. 
I had to go and talk to the priest because remember, I got to make sure I get a clean bill of health. And then I had to go tell my family I was better. And then I wanted to try to go get my job back. And I, I had just so many things that I had to do. Oh, so you were busy with your blessings. Some of us, I think we get too busy for our blessings. We don't realize that gratitude is actually a two-part process. First part is the feeling of gratitude that you have in your heart. And I think that's what a lot of us do. We sit around and we look at our family, we look at our friends, we look at them and we go, oh, I feel, it's here. It's right, yeah, there it is, gratitude. I can feel it. And that's what happened with the other nine. They felt this emotion of gratitude. But Jesus is pointing out that there is another part. There's an outward expression of gratitude towards someone that has done something for you. And so here's the takeaway from the story. Is unexpressed gratitude is seen as ingratitude. If you go back to my illustration of the person who's walking out the door at Pete's Coffee, they may feel in their heart thankful that I've held the door for them. But unless they express it, I'm gonna punch them in the throat, right? Because there is something about not just feeling it in your, I won't do it, but I want to. Uh, there is something about feeling gratitude but not expressing it that makes everyone else think that they are ungrateful. And so those lepers may have felt incredibly grateful, but without expressing it to Jesus, Jesus saw it as ingratitude. And so gratitude may start in your heart, but has to end in an expression. Verse 9, 19 says this, Then he said to them, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Made you well, this, this word in its original uh, language is translated as saved. So it really should say, your faith has saved you. See, this story is really a picture of us, is most people want God for his good gifts. God, I want you to come into my life, and I want you to heal me. I want you to help me prosper and to get the job and the relationships. I want you to make sure that you protect my family, and, except they don't want a God who does those things, and then they have to bow down and worship. They want the God who will give them what they want, but they don't have to actually express their gratitude by bending a knee and giving up their life. See, the nine received what's called um, common grace, kind of theological term. And it's this idea that God sustains the world and that he gives good gifts. So, okay, this is really embarrassing, but when I was 12 years old, I asked my dad, and I didn't realize at the time, but it was a great theological question. I said, Dad, why would God bless <laughs> Britney Spears with such amazing talent? Look, I would fill in the blank with another name, but this is the reality. Why would God bless Britney Spears with such incredible talent if he knew that she wasn't going to use it to bring people to him? It's because this idea of common grace, that God gives blessing to the entire, to everyone in the world, and he just gives it out freely because he loves everyone. But not everyone comes back in gratitude and thanks him for it. He says, the one who comes back and bends a knee and acknowledges that his blessing is given by God is the one who eventually is saved. So I want to challenge you this week. Is as you are entering into a time, maybe you're going to go visit family, you're going to spend some time with friends, you're going to be thinking about all the things in your life that you have been blessed with. I want you to try a couple of things. First, to God. At some time this week, I want you to write down all of the blessings that God has given you in as much detail as you can. Start writing it down because you have forgotten how blessed you truly are because you have taken it as just life, as just things that maybe you deserve or just things that you have come to um, 
have come to expect in life. The second thing is this, and this is my favorite part, and this is the most uncomfortable part, is I want you to then go and, of course, express your gratitude to God, but then express your gratitude to somebody else. Actually, try it with three people. Is go and express the gratitude that you have for the relationships in your life, for the people. So uh, maybe it's gonna be one of your parents. Think about your mother, the incredible... uh, Incredible sacrifice that she made to birth you, all right? This is very fresh on my mind right now, is the birthing process. And it is not what I would say awesome. Uh, It's pretty scary. And yet your mother went through this. And then not only did she birth you, but then she raised you. And you as a 13-year-old were horrible. 16-year-old, you should have been kicked out. It was a mess. And she went through all of that, and she continued to love you or your father, or maybe it's an uncle, or an aunt, whoever it is. What if you sat down this week and you looked them in the eye and you said, hey, I just gotta tell you, here's all the things that I am thankful for that you have done in my life. They're gonna just lose their mind. They're gonna just go, who are you? Who is this child? They're gonna be shocked because you know what? No one does that. You don't do that. I don't do that. And so when you do do that, they will be amazed. Try it this week. Maybe if you're married and, uh, and you sit down and you could even do it today, you go sit and you say, hey, here are all the things that I love about you. Husbands, if you do this for your wives, your night will turn out so different than it was going to. Okay? So this group is a little bit more mature. They got what I was saying. You guys are like, I don't know. What are you going to drive through? <laughs> In and out? Yeah, for sure. Oh, I'm hungry. Um, anyway, what was I going? I don't even know. Here's the deal. As you go into Thanksgiving, here's what you need to remember. I want to be like the one, not like the nine, because everybody feels gratitude. Very few people express it. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for, um, for this, this church and this ministry and just how much we have to be thankful for. As we head into a week in which it is all focused on Thanksgiving, we first want to thank the God who has provided all of the good gifts, all the ones that we take for granted just the fact that we get to sit in this room and we get to freely worship and learn and then we get to be in a relationship with you. And so, Lord God, we want to first express our gratitude to you and we also want to express it to those whom we love in our life, who have been so good to us, have showed us such kindness and love and investment, Lord God. And so, Lord, as we walk out of here, we would just be reminded that we are blessed and we want to express that gratitude to you and to everyone around us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.